Mick. Are you glad we're not talking about politics today? Yeah, I couldn't even finish <laughs> watching the debates. It was horrible. Every bit of it was horrible. Uh, welcome to Project 99. It is Thursday, February 27th, 2020. And we're going to veer off of our topic for the last couple of weeks. Because I think we... that every, after the last debates in South Carolina that everyone needs a break. Yeah. I think they're having them too close together. It's just... This is insanity. It's insanity. It's just, you just want to hit your head against the wall like you do when you have a migraine. Yeah. <laughs> and it hurts, but it's like, I just want to numb it, so I'm just going to bang my head <laughs> against the wall. keep banging my head, hoping I'll go unconscious. So we're going to talk today about a subject we've been planning to talk about for a while, but we kept getting interrupted by, you know, mega news. And it is the topic of eugenics. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because um, every once in a while I'll be having a conversation with somebody about racial issues and, you know, uh, different income, income inequality or whatever. And then I'll, and then it'll lead on to something where I want to talk about, I asked them if they've heard of eugenics and a lot of people, you know, just haven't heard of it. And maybe when I start describing it, they're like, oh yeah, I kind of know about that. But um, most people associate the eugenics movement with the Nazis and you know their their obsession with the Aryan race and creating a master race of people and and uh, killing off everybody that didn't fit the criteria. But the Nazis didn't invent that. It was a they it, didn't invent it, and uh, the end of World War Two was not the end of it. Absolutely not. Um, and you know, it kind of evolved over time. So being that we look back at World War II and we look at the Nazis and the things they did and we're like so horrified by it and we think, what was going on in the mind of these German people? Like was something, was there something weird about the Germans that they, but it wasn't just a German, German concept. It was a worldwide concept. And I really feel like to think about eugenics in terms just of Nazis is dangerous because we kind of think well then there's the nazis as as a political force are very small now and pretty harmless <laughs> well i think that you know i was actually just today as part of my globalization class this whole chapter that we're reading is about nationalism and i think that 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 anytime that you have a sense of nationalism there's always um a line that can be crossed which the nazis did cross mm -hmm. um so I think that any time you talk about looking at a whole system of people that have a sense of nationalism, especially if it's uh, ethnic-based, mm -hmm. that eugenics is probably involved somewhere, or mm -hmm. maybe very soon, you know what I mean? So it all ties in. Well, I think it's, I think it depends too on, there's a lot of factors, but I think it depends on, it seems to involve an element of economic instability. So when you have like a shortage of resources or the perception of a shortage of resources, and I say well, that because Trump will say the U.S. is full, we can't have any immigrants here anymore because right. we're, we're packed full. Like, Clearly, we're not. Like if one more you know person from Mexico comes in, I'm going to fall off of the East Coast into the ocean. <laughs> like we're so packed. <laughs> well, I feel like that's for two reasons. Because at that rate, saying that resources are low um, gives you. It plants the idea in people's head that suddenly population control is needed. And also, I think when you tell people resources low, resources are low, that it instills a fear in them and sure. they're going to give up their power and just listen to whatever you say. Sure. So two parts there. There's like, two, you know, there's, there's two different camps that people tend to fall into either naturally or by 
you know, whatever their upbringing or whatever. I tend to think it's you're born with a certain structure in your brain that causes you to think one way or the other. And that doesn't mean you're predestined to be a conservative or liberal, but I just think your thought patterns, the way you tend to analyze things. If you've talked to a lot of people that are in the liberal camp and then the conservatives, you're like, why do all conservatives think like that? And they, they probably think that about liberals too. But, um, you know, it's either, you know, liberals tend to be like, well, it's more important that all of us together, right? Help each other. Even if one of us doesn't get to be really, really, really high, nobody's really, really, really low. So the idea of socialism is that we take our resources and we make sure everybody's taken care of. In the conservative mindset, it's like there's a hierarchy. And that hierarchy, the idea that there has to be winners and losers and there has to be someone at the top and someone at the bottom, that that is essential to stability is part of a conservative mindset. And it even goes into like the family. The family, a conservative family is, there's the dads, the patriarch, then the mom, and then the, you know, children. And it has to be, there has to be ranking. And then, you know, when you go into like conservatives and sports, like the competition, survival of the fittest, it's all about who's on top and who's on bottom. Like it, it, it literally invades every opinion they have, that there has to be, a, there has to be winners, you know? Donald Trump's father used to tell him, him and his brothers, they had to be killers. That's what he called it, being a killer. Being able to, to get on the top, and even if you got to put other people on the bottom. But anyway, so this whole idea of people on top, people on the bottom, way back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people, marriages were arranged between royals and people of money and, and wealth, you would not have a person in a position of, you know, high position marrying a peasant. Yeah, separated by class. Right, that just didn't happen, wasn't allowed. And there were economic reasons for it because obviously if, you, if you're a royal family and you have all of this wealth that's gonna go down to your child, you want them to also marry somebody so it's building the wealth. Or hoarding. You mean pretty much yes (laughs) yes you want to hoard it and like the american idea of if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you have four children and you die right in our society you would probably leave the money to evenly to your four children like we would think that but in old world if you did that you're just dividing the the wealth right yeah they would just pick the the oldest son (laughs) pretty much the oldest son would be the person who would get it all and then the other siblings would be you know, it would, he would be like the dad of the other siblings going forward. He would control everything. So you, you, it kind of started out with just being, you know, marrying wealth, marrying wealth, and the structure of the highest and lowest. And then somewhere around, you know, the 1800s, um, and there have always been people like even in the, run, in the 1700s or whatever where they were trying to figure out why certain people's, uh, in certain cultures, right, had different colors, different shapes. So their why was their head shaped different? Why were some people shorter, some people taller? Scientists back then did a lot of things just by blunt observation. So around in the 1800s, this, this pseudoscience called phrenology came out. And the idea was that um, you could study the shape of a person's head and their body and determine if they were a criminal. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so if you look up pictures of this online, there was like the endomorphic... I feel like uh, we still do that now. It's just <laughs> called systematic racism. 
but profiling. If, you know. Right, but if you're going to cast somebody. <laughs> you know, Bloomberg's whole thing, stop and frisk, sorry. No politics. <laughs> if you're going to cast somebody in a role in a movie as like the evil villainous guy, right? He's going to have like the heavy brow and the beat like a very stocky. Like you're going to pick a yeah, character. Yeah, there's definitely a stereotype. I mean, I'm not saying that stereotypes aren't, uh, they don't They don't just come out of nowhere. But the idea that, yeah, that's, it, it's nonsense. <laughs> right. And, you know, so, but, but back in the day, they thought, well, if we can figure out what a criminal looks like, right? We could, we could catch them before they commit a crime. Mm. The funny thing about this is that just like today, if you, if you have a heavy brow and you look really kind of thuggish, right? Like heavy build guy and you just look kind of like you're not very smart. You're a criminal because when you commit a crime, we're going to call you a criminal. But if you're a really handsome, sophisticated, elegant looking guy and you steal a huge amount of money from somebody, we don't call you a criminal. Yeah, America does so- this with terrorism <laughs> all the time. We, we won't call these, uh, you know, white supremacist mass shooters terrorists. terrorists but right. if they're brown, then they're a terrorist. Right. You know? So you're kind of making your own, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. But so you had phrenology um, from like the 18, early 1800s to about the mid-1800s. And then in 1859, Charles Darwin came out with The Origin of Species. And he talked about how he studied all these animals and figured out that they, there was a process of them evolving, you know, from basically one species. It breeds and, then, you know, we all know that today. Today, you know, the idea of evolution is taught to every kid in schools, we take it like, okay, well, of course, it, it, it completely makes sense. But Maybe not taught in the South still. <laughs> uh-huh. Except if you're like a very religious school that doesn't believe in evolution. But other than that, most people, if you go, hey, Charles Darwin evolution, they go, yeah, 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 we know what that is, right? So um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, and they still, they, it's the theory of evolution. I, re- I remember even in school when we learned about this that they made it very clear it's just the theory of evolution. I was like, all right, we get it. Right, yeah. Take your Bible somewhere else. And then there was a guy um, in the 1860s, uh, 18, about 1865, named George Mendel. Mendel, maybe I'm not saying this right, George Mendel. But anyway, he developed these... Is it George or Gregor? Because you have Gregor right Oh, now. yeah, I'm, I'm very sorry. Gregor. Gregor, you're... Thank you. Um, Gregor Mendel. So he... Um, he did the charts where he was like, okay, well, I bred this kind of fly with this kind of fly. You know, he did that experiment in How school. do you? No, I don't know. I don't remember okay, doing so that. How do you breed flies? You have, you have these fruit flies, and the reason you use fruit, fruit flies is because they, they breed so fast that, like, you know, you put them in a tube, and then there's the next thing you look at, there's, there's four of them. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, it's pretty fast. But So some of them have red eyes, and some of them have white eyes, and they have these traits, and you breed them. And so you can see the recessive genes and the dominant oh, right, genes. Okay. right, right, right. Yeah, all right. Yes. So and we also did this. we did this with charts when I learned it. Right. And also dog breeding was a huge thing back then because dogs, even though you can't interbreed two species usually without making them sterile. Like you can't breed a horse and a donkey because you get a mule and it's like a half breed, but it's sterile. Same way with a with a liger and the tie on that you actually can't breed a tiger and a lion a lion. But the thing you breed will not reproduce. Right. Which is very strange. Right. It's very strange. But dogs, because there's such a vast difference in, you know, look at dogs. I mean, you got little tiny teacup chihuahuas that you could hold in your hand, and then you have these massive mastiffs, and, you know, so, but you can breed them. 
you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) But um, because dogs have such vast differences, but you can still breed them, there was a lot of, like, dog fancy breeds being made. Like, in Victorian times, that was a big deal, like, breeding dogs. It still is. People still, I mean, you you meet someone. I get this all the time because my dog's a mutt, right? I mean, I've got the very, I don't know, I just feel like if you're going to get a dog, like, if I'm going to get a dog, I'd rather just save the life of a dog. You know what I mean? I don't care what it is. Right. But I feel like everybody I know has purebred dogs, especially my mother-in-law. And she, anyone, anyone that's like, oh, I like your dog. She's like, yes, he's a purebred Victorian English <laughs> bulldog. And I'm just like, I hate you. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> She's very proud that they are bred. I'm kind of of two minds about purebreds because I have a purebred dog. Right. And he's a Doberman. And I like the way that, I feel like he was bred for a purpose, just like herding dogs, hunting dogs, bred for a purpose. And they're born with this just innate understanding of that that's what their job is. Like, I didn't have to train him to be a guard dog. He knows how to patrol the perimeter. He knows oh, how to keep... that's true. That's true. You know true. what I mean? And herding dogs, you get a little puppy herding puppy, and it before you don't have to train it, if there's anything, it cats, kittens, uh, ducks, whatever, they'll herd it. You know, they, that's yeah. just what they do. That's true. I never thought about it from that perspective, but I guess that is a fair point. But I don't believe in vanity dogs. I don't believe in breeding dogs where they have so many wrinkles. They have eye problems and nose problems. It's like, to me, yeah, that's, that's just should, disgusting yeah, and cruel. Like, that should I not be allowed. I mean, they, that's what, uh, my mother-in-law, she has a, a bulldog and it is, um, it's an English bulldog, but it it's, has some kind of other bulldog bred into it so that it's it's still a full bred, but it's like a Victorian or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But they, they do it like that so that they they breathe better. Right. I mean, they have better, they have less health problems. And I'm just like, right. seriously, why do we still have dog breeds that like we know that when they're born, they're only going to live for eight years because they're, they're just so right. badly. Right, right. I mean, the same with cats too. I mean, I just, I don't think we should be purposely breeding animals just for looks if we know that their health is bad. I mean, that's just awful. Right. And you know, it's kind of funny you brought that up because, um, I think it was King, was it King Charles the first? I have to look it up really quick because I'm not on my, you know, history, royal history. Um, no, it wasn't him. But anyways, the guy that had the, the jaw that came out really far because, they inbred the family inbred so oh, yeah. badly yeah. that his jaw stuck out. He slobbered. He could his tongue wouldn't stay in his mouth. Yeah, they make fun of that on Family Guy all the time. Yeah, the guy with the really big I jaw. Was, I thought it was. I know it was. They call it the Habsburg jaw, but I don't. Oh yeah, so it's King 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 Charles the Second Habsburg of the Habsburg dynasty. Yeah, the guy from Family Guy's name was like uh, James William Bottom Tooth or something, but he's he, his jaw is just massive. It's like mm-hmm. so. This is what I I hate that show, but I also love the guy that creates it because there's all those little stupid like things in there. <laughs> References. The, the yeah. guy has to be intelligent. Like, I think it's Seth MacFarlane. Or he he's got to be such a smart guy for all the stupid shit that they slip in there that is totally mm-hmm. missed by the masses. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, because the character he's like British and he's super wealthy and like. Me talks like this. <laughs> like, anyway. And then hemophilia. That was a big problem among royal families too, which is the bleeding disease. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, it, and that was just, you know, a lot of it was in breeding. So you think they would have kind of figured that out. Like, that was in the 1600s that that was happening, that they were in breeding, you know, like pretty much like first cousins yeah, over and over and over. When, when you said earlier, like, 
when they leave their money to one of their kids and then that like the first son and then that son kind of becomes like the father figure to the rest i was gonna be like or husband because (laughs) you know how they worked back in those days yeah it's pretty so if you look up want to have some fun look up some pictures of king charles uh, of the Habsburgs because he was a scary looking guy just very scary he couldn't even walk till he was like 10 I mean it was just hideous just hideous what happened with them but anyway so you had Darwin and then you had uh, Gregor Mendel with his you know Mendel 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 in genetics and then um, in, in the 1870s um, Rudolf Virchow I think I'm saying that right is this it Charles second of Spain Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, this is awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. just, that's awful. They called him the bewitched, too. They called him a lot of, probably a lot of things behind his back. <laughs> yeah, behind his back. But, um, yeah, so, um, and then you had, like I said, Rudolf Virchow started studying um, Jewish children and German Christian children because, and he studied like six million, he like studied six million kids. Like, study their facial features, their height, their weight, their length of their arms, like, you know, those kind of, all those different measurements to try to see if there were anything different about them, any rule that he could follow. And he basically found out, nope, there is none. So, um, of course, when the Third Reich came to power, they scrapped all that. Like, nobody cared that he said, look, I've studied millions of people and there's nothing different. They didn't care about that. So also in um, 1871, Darwin had his second book that was like Descent of Man and basically said, yes, human beings came from apes. So he went from just saying, you know, species evolved to we evolved from primates. And, you know, it was kind of controversial, but at the same time, like people in the day could say, well, if you look at primates, the way he's got the chart, right? And then you look at where the end of the end of his spectrum is which is the white caucasian male then you know people of color or have darker skin so they must be lower on the scale because primates have you know dark skin so that fed into the whole theory which is totally screwed up but that that was because people had this perception already about race racial inferiority that they just it just fed into that and then um between 1871 and 1902 you had kind of this education among elites um and educated people all had to understand that this is the science of the day if you don't understand you know what darwin's saying you're an idiot um and then you had charles davenport um well actually Darwin's cousin, Francis um, Galton. Galton, yes, Francis Galton. He it was it was Darwin's cousin, and he took this idea in his mind of like natural selection being survival of the fittest and all that, and said, "Well, listen, like we're intelligent human beings, so we could help this process along. If we want the way it works in nature is, you know, animals that are weak, the mother leaves them to die, they starve to death, they get killed by predators, whatever." We can just choose to not have children if we want to. And we could choose who we want to mate with. We're not like animals. So we could actually control this stuff ourselves. So he Which was, isn't, I, don't, I mean, you're, when you have this whole conversation about eugenics, I feel like if you try to make any point that isn't like, this is awful, people are like, oh my God. But like in senses like that, where it's like, just choose 
to try to avoid things that we know can and will happen mm-hmm. that, it's not I don't know why that's a problem and we've this is we've come across this in a couple of our conversations and when you're just like well I don't know I don't really think it's that bad and I'm just like we have to cover this someday because I want you to understand why it's a dangerous pad where it goes you know right I mean? yeah like obviously you don't want to be like oh eugenics isn't that bad but at the same time I think there should be a separation beyond like all right well selecting uh based on just scientific facts that we know like that older women are more likely to have children with like birth defects or down syndrome and things like Mm -hmm. that i don't think that making the choice not to have children after that point should be classified under some kind of eugenics like it's just right no i understand what what you're saying i understand what you're saying so um anyway francis galton was darwin's cousin and he was at the in the high of, I think at Oxford University or London or so he was some in Europe he was like the the guy over in Europe that was the top guy, and then over here in the U.S. we had Charles Davenport and he's known as the father of the U.S. eugenics movement. So he goes over and talks to Galton and says, "Hey, like I'm really into your stuff, and uh, but what we need to do is we need to have a theory." a more specific theory about how the traits are passed down. We got to get a serious, we got to study this because you're right. We need to weed out the bad traits, but we have to figure out how the traits are passed down. So that was his main thing was figuring this all out. Um, and, but it didn't take very long because that was in 1902. And then by 1907, um, you had Indiana being the first state that passed mandatory sterilization law. So you already had this thought process that there's enough poor imbeciles out there. (laughs) That's what they called them, imbeciles or feeble-minded. And basically, if you had a, a loved one who had any kind of mental illness, psychiatric problem or depression or anything, it was such a societal scourge and such a, like, people in high society wanted the impression that nobody like that was in their family. So they shuffled them off to institutions. And a lot of times, poor people, they just, you know, they couldn't take care of their family. So if you had, you know, four kids and one of them wasn't the brightest one, you could just turn them over to the state and be like, hey, he's an imbecile. Put him in an institution. I mean, it, it, was, it was pretty cutthroat. I mean, it was hard times. Well, I don't know what other, I mean, there wasn't a lot of options for families that dealt with things like that then. So, right. I mean, as, as heartless as that may seem to just turn their kid over, mm-hmm. or what, what, I mean, what choice do they have, you know? Right. I mean, an orphanage, just plain old orphanages had been around forever. So it was kind of like the in, idea of the institutionalization of unwanted people. So, I mean, even was, in that, I mean, they're studying like, okay, well, we have this problem where people can't take care of these people. Um, so let's try to make it so that there aren't those people, as awful as that sounds. But in those times, there wasn't, really any good way to treat mental illnesses so I think going at it at the scientific way of well if we could just stop this from happening for whatever reason isn't necessarily malicious but right but here's where I think it here's where I think it came forcing mandatory sterilizations on people I mean but here's why I think it went that route because back in those days there wasn't um there weren't government-run programs to take care of people orphanages and homes for the unfit or whatever the feeble-minded they were all owned and run by philanthropists so rich people probably churches too i know a lot of orphanages are run by churches yes so the church 
and rich people in high society who had more money than they knew what to do with would get social points by having these different charities and by they still do that to this day but they would have these foundations and different places would take care of these people so if you go back and you think about it okay you've got all these people poor people people that don't have any education can't read they're going to these institutions in mass um, rich people are taking care of them so there develops this kind of paternalistic mindset like i am supporting all these imbeciles my money takes care of these you know underlings of society they're just it almost gave the rich people the feeling like whatever they said to do with these people was fine because they were the ones supporting them without me they'd be starving anyway you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I get that. Is I mean, that's fucked up. And if up, you study but... social welfare institutions, which I took classes in college just on social welfare institutions, this is the one reason why socialists argued back in the day that it should be government-funded, taxpayer-funded. They should. It shouldn't be rich people doing it because there's well, a the... profit motive for them to right, get rid exactly. of the poor people. Right. Well, not only that, but there, there's a profit motive to just basically keep these people alive and nothing else. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a, what's the guy's name? Geraldo Rivera. Robert Rivera, yes. Did that big, I've talked about this before, he did that big, uh, busted it out on 2020 about Willowbrook Institution mm-hmm. back in the 70s. Horrific. It was horrific the way they treated those people. Mm-hmm. And these were, I mean, government-funded institutions, but if there was profit to be made or if they had cut funding, I mean, it just, if it was... If was, it was Willowbrook a, government-funded? I believe that, well, I know that they closed it afterwards, and mm-hmm. then all the other ones were. Look that I mean, they get, quick, they get stipends from the to state, too, but was. yeah, I want to see if that was um, owned just by the government, or, but I know they were definitely getting government funding, because they talked about when they would send the people in from the state to do but these so check-ins. Pri- so it would be private, almost like private prison. Right, exactly, though. yeah. It, you know, it even could if be it was privately, privately owned, owned, yeah. It could have been privately owned. I will look that up. But, um that they would basically cover everything up and make it look as good as possible while they were having state checks done. So Geraldo Rivera just showed up there mm-hmm. and, like, recorded what they were doing to these people. Right. And so, I mean... I think when I watched it, it was a guy that had worked there that was so horrified about what was going on that he just, when he got fired or he quit, he took the keys with him, and he gave the keys to Geraldo, and that's how he got in. He just went in there and started... I believe he just went in with that guy's key. That's what it I says. Uh, Willowbrook State School was a state-supported institution for children with intellectual disabilities located in Willowbrook neighborhood of Staten Island. So okay. state-supported, but that still doesn't. I mean, right. I don't know if that. Well, I mean, means these are by the state those or... are people with no voice. I mean, we know this that in any any situation in society where people is they don't have any voice, they get abused. Just how it is. Because who's speaking up for them? Well, and that's what I was saying. I mean, even if it's not, it, even if it wasn't a for-profit, it's still this is costing taxpayer dollars. So do it for the the minimum amount of money right, needed. Right. And I mean, I remember watching that when I was probably fourteen. I watched this documentary, Willowbrook: The Last Great Disgrace, and the footage from inside of that institution was so horrifying to me that it it is. I'm. I mean. 11 years later and I still think about it Mm -hmm. it was awful Mm -hmm. and as someone who deals with a mental illness and knows lots of people that do and obviously now with doctors and an understanding of it medications they're they're dealt with a lot better than they were then right but 
to think that if I would have been one of those kids in the 70s, I could have ended up there. Right. You know, one minute breakdown as a teenager and off you go. You're done. I and mean, what you were saying about eugenics that, you know, you understand some of the horrible things that happened in the past, but couldn't we somehow use the knowledge that we have now to kind of detach from the history of eugenics to do something good today? If you look at the situation with the mentally ill today, they shut down state-run institutions because Willowbrook was not an anomaly. It was, it, it was, was the norm. It yeah. was the norm. It was the norm. And when, when that was discovered, the, the whole theory among behavioral psychologists and, every, and everybody in the medical community was like, these places need to be shut down. Well, shut them down. I don't, I don't know if they should have been shut down per se, but they definitely needed to reform. But it, that level of corruption, it, it needed to be shut down, but something new needed to start. Because right. I do think that... There I are mean, desperately people desperately need institutional care now absolutely. that are not getting it because they because that was like the thing we don't ever want to do again. Right, exactly. So, that was the mistake that they made. When they closed it down, they were just like, never again. And it right. was like, no, well, just because they did it horrible right. doesn't mean that families don't need that kind of support because, right. you know, I, I, you see it all the time. Even even just people who deal with, you know, children when, they, when people get elderly and they have had children that have... Uh, like mental disabilities, Down syndrome, mm-hmm. things like that. And the mm-hmm. older that they get, they can't take care of these people. And then what happens to them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, major flaw in our system. So um, once Charles Davenport, um, you know, got into his studies of, of traits and how the traits are passed on and everything, he ended up getting funding from the Carnegie Institute, which, yes, it is the same Carnegie Institute that you know of today that's still in existence today. And in 1910, uh, they created the uh, U.S. Records Office, which basically kept records on people's physical traits. And a lot of these were people that were coming in as immigrants. They were saying, you know, how tall and how they were measuring them. And a lot of major cities had um, offices of eugenics where they took people's stats, kept track of them. And it was a big nationwide thing where they were trying to figure out, you know, where all the people were that had the good traits and the bad traits and they had these crazy competitions called better baby contests oh my god is that like the uh the old version of uh child beauty pageants yeah pretty much (laughs) and they would get people would come out and they would bring their baby out and they would see if their baby fit the now and you have to think to yourself like they didn't know what the downside they they didn't know what the downside the being a loser part (laughs) like what you were lined up for it wasn't just about getting the being the best baby. What about the what about the worst babies? Because you know that babies went on a list somewhere. Like, <laughs> I'm serious though. You're probably right. They probably did because it's what what happens later is um, they start developing immigration laws where they say, well, we don't want any more of these kinds of people here. Oh my God, that's awful. We don't want these kind of people here. And in the you know when Hitler started to come to power in Europe. Um, you know, and it started to become really understood among people that he was targeting the Jews. Some Jews fled, and they were on a ship, and I can't remember the name of the ship, but the ship, these people got out of Europe, they got on the ship, and they tried to come to Cuba because they were, like, just trying to escape being killed. And they got to Cuba, and they sat in the harbor there in Havana, and the Cuban government was like, no, we don't want you. And so then they came to the U.S., and the U.S. was like, no, we don't want you. And they sent them away. And they went back to Europe. And many of those people died in concentration camps. And it was because Jewish people were considered not on the list of people that we want in our country. Dude, this is 
I just I spent all day <laughs> reading about uh, because they were like I said my chapter in my book right now for my globalization class is nationalism right and I was actually pleasantly surprised that a huge portion of this chapter talks about Israel Palestine right mm-hmm. and I don't know how anyone talks about that subject at all clearly a lot of people reading about this chapter don't have either knowledge or compassion for that situation because I'm like I don't know how people aren't just instantly like angry at the U.S. because we're supposed to be big brother we're supposed to be like we represent ourselves like we're these saviors but we did we turned all those Jewish people away and then when you know everyone was like well listen we can't just keep everyone can't just keep turning these people away we're just like well let's just take someone else's land and give it to them yeah. And the conflict still continues today, yeah. where we do nothing. Actually, Britain did that, though. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. but it's the same thing. They tried to come to us. We say no. Mm-hmm. You know, Britain had already, after World War One, said, we're, well, we're going to give the Jews these lands. And we just agreed to it. And we yeah. just went along with it. Why were we not the people that were like, hold up. Right, right, this right. This is fucked up. Right, right, right. We were, t- we were talking about this before, um, about the Zionists. And it's funny, because there are people that call themselves Zionists, and they say they're really... Sh- they sh- they strongly believe in the idea of Zionism, which is a state for the Jewish people. Right. But if you call someone a Zionist, it's like an insult. <laughs> yeah, so, I never. So did just so you that. know that don't don't yeah, ever I never, I don't, never did don't ever think that. if someone's like pro-Israel and you call them a Zionist that that's okay because they'll be offended. But right. they but they are. That would admit. So anyway, but when the Zionist movement started, that was like in the early 1800s too, mm-hmm. and they had actually picked several different places where they thought this will be the homeland for yeah, the Jews. Yeah, what was the guy's name? Hel- Hellsbar or something? The, the the guy who created this Zionist movement. Um, Wasn't it Herzl? Maybe that was it. Let me, I gotta look it up yeah, now. Yeah, look that up. But yeah, he didn't even have a set location. They were just like, well, we get more people in on this movement if right. we pick, you know, the Bible's chosen land. Well, and one of like, the places was going to be Ethiopia. Yeah, they did talk about a lot of places in Africa that they considered. That they considered there. And also... Um, Galveston, Texas. What? They were talking about making the state of Israel for the Jewish people in Galveston, Texas. And actually, a lot of early Zionists moved to Galveston, Texas. Herzl? Herzl, I think. H-E-R-Z-L? Theodore Herzl? Herzl? I don't know. Yes. So, yeah. And there's also, like, a really heavy Jewish population in Florida and in... um, but I think the ones in Florida came from Russia. But there's some in Canada, too. There was a place in Canada where a lot of Jewish people went there. And it was like there were all these little places where people were like, no, this is going to be Israel. No, this is going to be Israel. No, this is going to be Israel. So when you hear Zionists today go, oh, the Bible says that Israel is the promised land to the Jews and it's in the Bible. And it's like, yeah, that, well, that wasn't your first choice, so. Right. Like, how it, at what point it became, like, the theology that it had to be that place is really funny. But most people don't think about that. They don't know anything about that. But when I was in college, I did a big thing about Israel and Palestine. Like, it was a big part of my... I know. was actually glad we were talking about this in my class, too, because just watching the debates for the, the half of it that I did watch, and they single Bernie out and ask him, because he's a Jew, like, well, what do you think about the Israel-Palestine? Will we move <laughs> it back? Will we move the... And he's just like, like, gives the obvious Bernie answer of, like, all right, well, what Trump did moving it was fucking wrong, and yeah, we should try to be moving it back. Um, I was just like, there are so many... There, It's very hard for me to find people to discuss that question with. Well, he, you know, the, he called Netanyahu out as a racist. Oh, they did. Yeah, he did. He Absolutely. called Netanyahu as a... Which, which, 
I'm like, if Bernie I did not have a do. target on his head, he does now. Because but you he, know what? Nobody's brought that up. They I know. brought up the Cuba stuff more than they brought up. I know, dude. And I think it's because underneath it all, a lot of people know that Netanyahu is a hardcore right-wing racist nutbag. Like, most people that don't have a dog in the fight for Israel, like, will admit that about him. I mean, it's, but, you know, but only Bernie can say it because he's Jewish. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. I mean, dude, he took some... First of all, he said something about America's puppet governments. Uh, just in the, the, like I said, the first hour and a half that I watched, he said that he would try to move the embassy back before, you know what I mean, back. And what else did he say? He called, oh, he he called them out. he was talking about the coups, that he, the, all the governments we've yeah, overthrown. Yeah, just all the shit that he just like, like, bam, bam, bam. Nicaragua, Guatemala, Iran, 1953. Like, he listed all these places that we've overthrown I'm the like, governments. dude. We are not allowed to talk about these things in American politics. And he just bam, 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 all in one, like all in a row, just right. <laughs> called it out. But anyway, so when that question came up in the debates, I struggled to, you know, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they asked him that. And I can't believe he answered. And I can't believe like nobody's talking about this. And so I was mm-hmm. like trying to talk about it with different people, but like they don't, nobody seems to like know or care mm-hmm. what goes on over there. So I was well, like, <laughs> you know, Bernie, Bernie lost a lot of his family in the Holocaust. And he, I, well, he I know. That's so when Chris Matthews said that yeah. about, you know, Bernie winning Nevada was like the Nazis invading Poland. And I'm just like, how disrespectful is the France? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, that's so fucked. He did come out and apologize, though. Probably because so many people were calling for him to be fired. But he did apologize. <sighs> Anyhow. Um, yeah, I don't know how we get off on that tangent. But I was excited that not only did we, I just talk about this in my class, mm-hmm. but then we're talking about eugenics and nationalism right. and all this. And it, it just, it's so tied in. Like, I, I don't know how people walk around without that knowledge i feel like they're just like there must just be like so many things that seem to connect Mm -hmm. and there's just like a big black blotch where they can't tell why it connects because they don't see it but well i mean i sometimes feel like that like when i when i step back like everything kind of makes sense and i'm sure everybody kind of feels this way like everything kind of makes sense in your mind but you don't like you said you don't make all the fine connections but when you start having a conversation like we are now like you do make all those connections and so i think it helps people to just talk about things because you figure things out that way so anyway back to your point well right so i think that you know if you look at how the whole movement evolved if you look at you know the idea of the classes first of all your upper class and your lower class then you look at the fact that they start figuring out hey there's something going on with breeding and they're like, well, we always know that the upper class people should breed with upper class people. We never thought about the lower class people and they're breeding and then, God, we don't want them to breed. And, and then the fact that the rich were taking care of the poor in their minds. So um, they looked at the poor always as a burden. You know what blows me away, though, that even I swear people still think that way now. Because as I told you when we were talking before we started this podcast, I'm sick of people saying... I don't want to have to pay for other people's health care. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't want to have to pay for America's imperialistic wars. So, you know what? Suck it up. But why is it always like wealthier people that think the solution is to just kill all the poor people? Why isn't it? Well, if we invest, we can bring these people up a level mm-hmm. and then we'll solve it. It's never about fixing the problem. It's just get rid of it. Right. What the fuck is that about? Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly I'm biased and can't see that standpoint because I am a poor person. But I just, holy shit. Mm-hmm. I think insane. it's up, I think part of its upbringing and part of it is that um you know if you're a person that just doesn't have and I, and I, I will say this that there are people who've come from really wealthy families that that's just not in them they do have empathy for people and they do try to you know make a difference and change things so there are a lot of people that have left wealthy 
upper crust families and and said, hey, like in actually like Fidel Castro, he was came from a wealthy family. And Don't say anything good about Castro. No, I can't. Yeah, obviously not. Um, and Che, his fa- Che's family yeah. was actually wealthy, and he was a doctor. Um, but he, but he, he w- went around the country and he saw how people lived, and so he was like, "This is horrible," and they're being oppressed by the rich, blah blah. blah. So I think it's always been about the classes, and then also the disproportionate control that the wealthy have over the poor, which makes them also feel like they have rights to control the poor, to talk down to the poor, to you know sit on high and think that the poor are ignorant, just lazy people so once they developed these offices and they started to want to change immigration laws to prevent defective oh and that ship i looked it up so it was this um st louis was the name of the ship there were 901 jewish refugees from nazi germany um in 1939 so it was not it was the war was going on but we weren't involved in it quite yet and um it went to Cuba and got turned away, and then it came to the United States and got turned away and went back. And like I said, many of those 901 people ended up died, uh, dying in, 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 in camps over there. So um, now the next thing that we get to is once this idea of eugenics has been established, right, the Carnegie Institute comes out, you know, they, they have these list of rules of what we're going to do to make sure good people are breeding, poor people aren't breeding. And another thing, too, about poor people, they looked at the wealthy and the educated believed that there was something genetically uh, inherited in poor people that made them more prone to criminal behavior and more sexually immoral. So again, this is the thing like how if they look at you and you look rough and you commit a crime, you're a thug. But if a person who's in upper class society commits a crime and they don't look like a criminal, why don't you say they don't look like Because you just don't include the rich people in the crimes, right? So if a woman rich people are good at covering up their crimes. who is wealthy is sexually promiscuous, you know what I mean? It happened all the time. But if a poor woman sexually promiscuous she's immorally debased low class street urchin scum so, yeah and we we literally still have this to this sure, day exactly this it is does. this blows my mind that people this has been going on for this long and i mean since since the 1900s and before mm-hmm. and yet we still hold poor people to some kind of higher standard than rich people right i mean i mean look at this too just like you said about uh, being sexually promiscuous or whatever and criminals and this and that still to this day people act shocked when we find out that these huge institutions get uncovered of rings of pedophiles and stuff mm-hmm. and it's just like why are you fucking shocked but i think the most recent one was the boy scouts got all caught up and they got in some kind of pedophile scandal busted out and people are acting all shocked like oh my god i can't believe this and i'm like really mm-hmm. after all of this time even locally, we have had things come out about the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, we know that rich people do this shit. Right, yeah. I mean, the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing, I can remember when that came around the first time and people were exposing it. And everyone shrugged it off and buried it until finally they, there was no more denying it. I mean, I just, why are people so willing to overlook? Well, the thing too is that, and we'll see this when we get into our next segment here, talking about it, is that 
because the rich felt like they were taking care of the poor and they had to put out the money for these philanthropic places to keep these orphans and poor and crazy people, whatever. So they felt like if a woman has a child and she can't support it and she has to come to the church or to one of these philanthropists to get a handout, God forbid she has another child. Because here you go with the welfare queen, right? So a woman who has babies who's wealthy and can either take them off and adopt them off to somebody or whatever she's okay but like the poor woman her kids are going to end up on the the dole they're going to end up taking money from somebody who doesn't want to give their money away so this is where the whole idea of like sterilization came in and they decided that you know under their theory if if a woman has a baby and the baby is has any kind of birth defect or the baby seems like it's an imbecile child seems like it's an imbecile she'll let it die that's what happens in nature so they honestly believed they got it into their brains that we might have emotions that tell us that it's wrong to let the weak and the sick die but that's the law of nature so we have to have respect for that okay this was the beginning of it and then as it went on they said well okay people don't like that People don't like suffocating, you know, the children are born with a defect. (laughs) (sighs) So wait, we could just sterilize the women so they can't have any babies. That is a fucking awesome idea. If we just stopped these women from having any babies, that would be so awesome because we could cut these poor, belligerent populations down so fast. So I hate to be the guy to ask this, but just comparing this to modern, modern day, uh, policies that we have did anyone ever ask the women whether or not they did want that or not most of the time because i just wonder that if you are a struggling poor person Mm -hmm. and it is human nature to have sex we all know that the keep your legs closed thing is fucking nonsense and it doesn't work um you know if they have two kids they're already struggling with and somebody comes to them and says hey if you are done having children we can make that so that you don't have any more kids what their thoughts on it were because I feel like as much as forced sterilization is absolutely wrong because nothing should ever be forced I wonder how many of these people wanted that you know well, what I mean? and I guess I'm just applying that for the simple fact that today mm-hmm. we <clears throat> we all know that if you want abortion rates to go go down give people free birth control right. because some people are done having kids right. and they just they just need another option mm-hmm. to prevent it from happening no big deal I think birth control should be free across the board for people it shouldn't be mm-hmm. forced on them absolutely not but you know what i mean so i just wondered if there was any uh if there was anything talking about what the women then thought when this happened well most of them were done without the woman's even knowledge what they did they would tell them that you know you could have problems with your appendix so we can take it out and uh you know we won't charge you but but that way you will never have your appendix burst which people back then probably a lot of people that got infections in their appendix they couldn't afford to go to a doctor. Just probably their appendix ruptured and they, they just died. died. Yeah. So some of them were under the guise of we're going to take your appendix out, and this could be over. You got sick and you went to the doctor and you felt you just felt like a little sick, and they were like, "Well, it's probably your appendix." So um, a lot of the women had no idea until many years later that this was done to them. That's awful. Um, some of them, their parents were 
given incentives to have their children sterilized before they were of age. Um, there were a lot of different methods that they employed. Um, one of them was that if a woman was on welfare and she had a child and she got pregnant again, they would tell her her welfare would be cut off if she didn't get sterilized. So it was almost always a case of either not informing them or coercing them into doing it. Um, and that went on until there was a case that I read about of a guy, and this was out in California, where he hadn't paid child support. And I guess he had fathered more than one child and he was, they were always coming after him for child support. And they told him, well, we'll go ahead and just take care of it, but we, or we won't put you in jail, but will you have a vasectomy? And this was like in the 60s. I don't know. And the guy was I mean, like, okay, okay. I feel like I'm going to get a lot of shit for this, but I guess I don't necessarily see a problem <laughs> with that. I mean, if it's not forced, if they're like, But listen, if they're saying they're going to put you in jail for child support, but then they're like, but if we give you the snip snip, we'll let you out of jail. Like I that mean, is coercing them though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> vasectomies are reversible. I mean, I guess. But but even still, it's like, yeah, that's shitty at that point to tell that guy, well, you're going to go to jail or you're going to have a snip. That is kind of shitty. But like, what about the fucking kids that he's abandoning and leaving to struggle and try to fight? It's not their fault that you mm-hmm. dipped out on them. So it's like, I, I mean, I get it's like, I guess maybe his suffering for being forced into that situation is worth the prevention of suffering for children that have to go without. I mean, I don't know. I guess I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like doing it without people's knowledge is not right. Um, but I guess at a certain point, I, I kind of look at, like, the children that have to suffer for actions that happened before they were born. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of kind of shitty. I mean, and I guess if you're going to be born into a family of eight other brothers and sisters and all be starving your whole life, is it better to make someone get sterile and there just only be two kids than, than to have all of those kids suffering? Well, I mean, and in modern day society now, we obviously have the means mm-hmm. to take care of these children. But but then, if they didn't, they would just starve to death. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, it's definitely wrong that they forced it upon people like that. I feel like they could have gone about it a better way. Like, hey, listen, this is the problem we're encountering. You're having kids. You can't take care of them. It's causing a lot of suffering for you, for your children. We're gonna offer you a solution. I feel like most people would have taken it. Mm-hmm. Um. And if they didn't, then I don't know. I don't think you should force it on people. But uh, may, I don't know. <laughs> I always get touching this this discussion because I guess I see the logical part of that. And I'm always the person that's willing to go with the least amount of suffering for someone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if that woman is sterilized and it causes her suffering, that's awful. Mm-hmm. But if it prevented the suffering of possibly five children living and suffering their whole life and possibly dying of starvation, whatever then you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like you've got to weigh that. So I don't know. But I don't, like I said, I don't think it should be forced on people. And clearly now, in, in our day now, we have the resources mm-hmm. to take care of these children. They wouldn't literally starve to death. Right. So completely not comparable to now. Well, and you'll still hear some people today say that, you know, if a woman has a kid and she's on welfare and she has another kid, then she ought to be star- she ought to be fixed or whatever. Well, what do you think about the cases where... You still hear where, people say that. Because I do hear this a lot, and there's actually a woman who, I don't know where she gets the funds from, but I'm pretty sure she raises them all herself, that goes around and pays women who are drug addicts to get sterilized. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she offers them, she coerces them with money for it, but her view on it is, is that these children suffer 
when they're born because they're addicted to drugs and then they go ho- their whole life suffering the consequences of the fact that their mother did drugs when they were pregnant and it's mm-hmm. just suffering their whole life mm-hmm. so not that those children who were born that way don't deserve to live their life but if she can prevent it from happening mm-hmm. then she will so but a I lot mean, of people say that what she's doing is wrong because they're addicts of course they're going to take the money yeah i mean I, I it's there's a lot of moral and ethical gray areas there and I see what you're saying as far as like the kids that would be born at some point would be subject to a lot of suffering and maybe, you know, uh, it's no different than a woman saying like, I've had as many kids as I want to have and I don't want to have to keep continually paying for uh, birth control, whatever. So I'm voluntarily going to, you know, maybe the woman that is a drug addict realizes that she doesn't want to have any kids, but she doesn't have money to go and get that done herself. So somebody offers it to her. It's like, yeah, I mean, if somebody offers it to me because I know I shouldn't have any kids. I mean, it could be consensual on her part. It's not to say that just because she's an addict, like that she's being forced into it because someone's willing to pay for it. I mean, but it is. It could be coercion. Well, you know? you, here's how you would separate that out. If you had a program where you said anybody who has an addiction who wants to, you know, have this done, we will pay for it. So you're not giving the money to the person, right? Right. There, it's not a financial incentive at that point. It's like we're offering you the opportunity to do this for yourself. Well, we have so many like options now that they can put implants in. You know, to stop people from having kids. And I don't know, I've heard that argument brought up too, that if you're placed in a treatment program and you are a person that has a bunch of kids, that especially children that have been born with these addictions, Mm -hmm. that they should be forced to be on birth control. And it's like, part of me is just like every, every piece of that is wrong. But at the same time, like you watch these videos of these babies that are born addicted to these drugs and Mm -hmm. the way that they shake. And it's just like, we have to do everything we can to prevent this. So it's like, morally, I'm just... I don't know. I'm back and forth on it. I don't mm-hmm. think a woman should ever be... It's her body. She can do whatever she wants to it. But then, on the other hand, you literally birthed the child. Now it's its own body and you caused it suffering. So, right. I don't know. That's well, a tricky and then one. There was a case I forgot to talk about, which was Buck v. Bell. Um, it went to the Supreme Court because um, there was a girl who was sterilized. And basically what happened was... Um, the doctor said that they went back in her family tree and her mom was um, feeble-minded. Her grandmother was feeble-minded. And this was kind of the thing that they threw out there, like if they really had nothing that they could particularly pin down about why this person shouldn't have children. Basically, it was because they were poor. But they would say they were, quote, feeble-minded. And they would say that was reason enough to sterilize them. So this went up to the Supreme Court and um the supreme court actually held that it was a good thing to sterilize her and in the opinion that the supreme court wrote uh, i believe it was oliver wendell holmes was the supreme court justice that said um well three generations of imbeciles is enough so it was a good decision to sterilize her even if it was you know against her will so that was in 1927 and um then you have from 1930 to 1970, I watched a whole documentary about this, about Puerto Rican women. Because Puerto Rican women, were, had, there was a particular kind of uh, societal discrimination or prejudice against them that they were somehow like, you know, just making all these babies and they were not, uh, basically they just weren't people that were wanted in society. And so... There, between 1930 and 1970, one-third of the women in Puerto Rico were sterilized. 
and they had these clinics um, and they would pay the women to come in and have this operation. But, but most of them had no idea what they were being paid to do. They just told them, oh, you'll come in and you have La Operacion and they had, you know, the, the clinic set up and they would give them a little bit of money. They would come in, they would have done and they didn't even understand what's happening to them. Um, so there was no informed consent about it. Um, and like I said, it was one third of the women of Puerto Rico. Like you could almost say that's like genocide, you know, that you're trying to wipe out an entire population of people of a certain genetic makeup. Like that, that is genocide, right? Like, would you say that's genocide? I would say yes. And then uh, Native American women, um, there weren't, there was very hard to get exact numbers on it. But um, again, these were not informed consent sterilizations and it's it's estimated that up to 70,000 women and this was in the 1960s 1960 to 1970 so and of course African Americans were especially in Virginia there were a lot of forced sterilizations there so um, yeah it was a really it was a really horrible problem and you know a lot of people today know uh, Margaret Sanger as the mother founder of Planned Parenthood and um, you know she said a lot of controversial things about but she believed in birth control yeah she's a big advocate for birth control but she also bought into this whole theory and uh, in one of her books the pivot of civilization she says we are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. And then from her Birth Control and Racial Betterment book in 1919, she says, before eugenists and others who are laboring for racial betterment uh, to succeed, they must first clear the way for birth control. Like the advocates of birth control, eugenicists, for instance, are seeking to assist the race toward the elimination of the unfit well i feel like from a very scientific non-emotional standpoint that i can see the logic but but it was we're not robots but it was racially though it was racially being done well that's just you know what i'm saying it was never that's just fucked because they of course it sounds all great fine and good to say we're just trying to make a better human race it's but always they under the were. guise of something else yeah they were looking specifically at populations of racial minorities and just making up some willy-nilly term like feeble-minded to with no scientific evidence to to sterilize these women so there were less of them i mean it's awful it is awful it's horrific and you know so we look at you know nazi germany and we look at hitler and we go okay but yeah but he put people in gas chambers well, okay, so we were forcibly sterilizing people. We didn't get to that. That's how Hitler started, too. Hitler started forcibly sterilizing people and letting people die, like euthanasia, like letting people that were really sick just die. And his whole thing was, well, they're a drain on society. You know, we have to be, like you said about nationalism, when you have severe nationalism, everything that you do from the time you wake up at night till the time you go to bed is for the state. Right, which is the point that I made when discussing this, because of course, like, everyone wants to be like, oh, being a nationalist for your country is good. And I'm like, I don't know that anything that could be more detrimental. Because when you mix people not willing to do their own research and 
I just feel like you get all these people that are blind nationalists and everything is for the state. And as a part of the global community, especially humans need to stop being nationalists and start being part of the human race. Right. I don't know how we even still have that when we are part of things like the UN. And I I don't know. I just, I don't understand that. The whole um, America first thing that Trump has brought on as far as economy, I understand that because economically your country should always come first, but that's just a business choice. That's not, I think the whole idea America first before everything else, like humans are humans. You know what I mean? We shouldn't be uh, violating human rights because America first, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It was a really (laughs) complicated explanation. I try to give to people that when you when especially in america how how many people do we see that sign up for military service that have absolutely no knowledge of what the government is doing or why they go to war with other people people fight in wars they don't even know what they're about they don't even know why Mm -hmm. they're what they're motivated from Mm -hmm. so blind nationalism you're just a higher mercenary Mm -hmm. you mean you're told you're fighting for like freedom and democracy but in reality that isn't what's happening so the blood that's on your hands you can wipe away with the story they've been giving you but it's not reality right so well, I honestly Same think situation that if, I honestly think that if every, you know, kid in school, of course, we wouldn't be allowed to do it because it would be considered quote brainwashing or politicizing school. But, you know, if every history teacher told kids today the reasons for the things that our government has done, nobody would ever join the military. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because they would be well, like, listen, I'm not going to go throw my life down so you can make money. But this is this is the other thing too is that we talk about eugenics and wanting to get rid of poor people, and I feel like America. And maybe this is a conspiracy, but I feel like America still does that. Because what do we do? Lots of poor people and people who deal with domestic abuse or home life abuse, they they join the military to get away from that, Mm -hmm. to escape poverty, to escape abuse. And it's like, we don't want to do anything to change that because then our our rates of enlistment drop. Sure. I mean, so (laughs) to me, that's just eugenics with extra steps. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. It's uh, poor people have always been the cannon fodder for the wars that profit the rich. That's just always how it's been. And I just feel like, you know, my whole family's military people, and I don't think they went to war with bad thoughts in their mind. I just think that they just thought they were being patriotic. Everybody joins the military. It's just what you do. And like I said, I just feel like people, if you really believe in a cause, like World War II was different. World War II, we went over there because we were told what Hitler was doing. And, you know, we thought, well, this is wrong and we got to stop it. Absolutely. And so we, we, that was a good, that was a good war. But I just think that like people, you know, if they really understood like the whole thing, what's going on now with wars and why they're happening, like nobody would join. I don't think so That's either. just my thought process. But like you said, our whole economy right now is based on exploiting poor people. It's based on spoiling poor people, but it's based on a war. Like, we have to be at war all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Because we're, we sell weapons of war. Like, our, our, like yeah, our entire that, economy like would collapse, three. it seems like, if we didn't have wars to fight. That's in the top three of the U.S.'s exports um, is military equipment. Yes. Um, I forget what they call it. I don't know. But, they, yeah, it's like uh, we basically, which is, this is what I try to explain to people all the time. I'm like stammering around because I didn't intend to have this conversation as part of this eugenics topic, but 
I try to tell people all the time when they complain about things like paying for health care for everyone. And I'm like, do you understand that the U.S. pays top dollar to have these weapons made? Mm-hmm. And then we turn around and sell them for half the price to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Not only does that create a threat, because now we've just armed someone who may be our enemy at some point, but we just took a huge loss for someone else's benefit. Mm-hmm. And why are we doing it? I don't know, but we've been doing it for, for years and years and years and years. Well, so I guess the whole, but they don't, they're not educated about any of that stuff, which is what aggravates me the most is we don't have money for healthcare for everyone. I'm like, but we have money for this and this and this. Well, you don't know about this thing. So of course you're not angry about them. And it just drives me insane. Mm -hmm. Well, Saudi Arabia, you know, they have purchased hundreds of millions of dollars of weaponry from not just the United States, but also from the UK. And... It's kind of like, you know, when your country needs revenue to fund its programs, to fund its operations, um, and somebody offers you $100 million in exchange for weapons, you want to make that deal. And, you know, when Jamal Khashoggi was murdered, um, and it was pretty much told by the, the intelligence community that MBS did it, Trump didn't want to acknowledge that because he wanted to still sell $100 million worth of weapons or whatever. And he's like, hey, you know, right. I mean, that's money in our pocket. And if we don't buy them, then they're just going to go to somebody else. And those people will get the money. And I'm like, so let's just throw all morals out the window because money? But pretty much, yeah. Because right. But this isn't a problem unique of Trump. Because as when, I point out all the time that somebody said today, and I absolutely agreed with it. I was going to tell you about this, that someone said, Bernie is a moderate. It's just that the rest of the Democrats are actually Republicans. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. You're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. Because this, this problem with the military industrial complex has gone on under Democrats, under Republicans. Sure. It, it goes on under everyone. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the bigger problem is that my entire life, especially living in a poor area, I've heard people bitching and complaining about the money that comes out of their check to pay for, you know, welfare queen blah 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 and i'm just like if you guys only understood the amount of corporate welfare we have mm-hmm. money that we lose in this <laughs> military industrial complex like there's just so many other things to be angry about i don't care that someone's feeding their kids on food stamps i don't care if they're buying steaks with their food stamp card which personally as someone who has received food stamps before they don't give you shit especially if you don't have kids so i don't see i mean yeah i guess they could take their food stamp card and go buy steaks but like now you don't have money for the rest of the month. So I don't know anybody who has food stamps that does that. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. I guess, yeah, eat good for one night if you want to starve the rest of the month. Like, oh my God. Like, I definitely acknowledge that there are flaws in the system. But I guess the small amount of people that abuse that do not enrage me Yeah, like as much okay, as Okay, so if you have else. a social welfare program, right, and out of every, you know, 10,000 people, there's like 100 that cheat the system, right? And people f- lose their f- mind over that, right? But then you go to the government and you go, well, you lost how many trillions of dollars that you don't know where it's at, Pentagon? Uh, okay. All right, whatever. We'll still, no big deal. We'll still give you $738 billion, no problem. Like, we don't... It's yeah, insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, maybe they just need something right in front of their face to be angry at. And there's, I don't know. there's actually a website you can go to called Open the Books. Open the Books. Just Google it. I go there and, uh, you know, every once in a while, if I have five bucks, I give it to them. But... It's a really good website where they just research government waste. 
And if you ever really just want your head to explode one day and, you know, you, Rush Limbaugh's not on anymore or whatever, you just, if you want your head to explode, just go to open the books and look at the insane amount of military waste, government waste that goes on. That it's, is my main goal in politics. Whenever anybody argues with me about anything, I just want to be like, if you're angry about this, wait until you hear about A, B, C, because... You're wrong. You're mad. You're mad at the wrong shit, dude. Yeah. Like, pick your battles, okay? I'm really not trying to make sure that a program that does actually help mm-hmm. people disappears to save you four dollars out of your taxes. Right. When, oh, I just well, do you know how a magician works? A magician. Yeah. Look at this hand. Yeah. So look you at don't this see hand. what's going on over exactly. here. Exactly. And that's yeah, what it, it is. They get you distracted, hating on poor people, hating on immigrants, hating I just, on them. I guess so that I you have, don't see the corruption at the top. I have faith in people that they have the ability. To not be fooled by that trick. And mm-hmm. I am sadly, sadly disappointed over and over again. And every time election season comes up, every election year, I see it. And when I confront people with that, there's no legitimate argument other than it pisses them off. And I'm like, okay, well, if this is the only problem, it's, just, it's not that somebody abusing the system doesn't piss me off too. Mm-hmm. It's just a fucking grain of rice next to a fucking elephant. You know what I mean? Right. Anyway. <laughs> But if you guys have, uh, you know, you can find tons of lots of videos, documentaries online involving eugenics. I'd encourage you to go ahead and just watch a couple of them. It's pretty sad material, but I think it's important because the themes that run through the eugenics movement are alive and well today. Absolutely. And if we don't understand the evolution of an idea, if we just think, of, like I said, if we just think of, you know, the Nazis killing Jews as the only example of somebody, you you know, committing genocide because of some idea of a race, a uh, high race of people. That's crap because they got a lot of this stuff from people here. So, you know, it was way before Hitler and it's still in existence after Hitler. So I think it's important for everybody to understand when you look at systemic things, like oh, the last thing I want to say was about abortion because like I said, Margaret Sanger was is like the big hero in, in birth control and all that. But if you read some of her stuff, to me anyway, I feel like she was one of these people that's just like, yeah, we should just, you know, euthanize certain groups of people and, you know, because they're just unfit and whatever. She seems like that, like when, I, when I read her, that's how I feel about it. And there are people who have suggested that abortion clinics are in areas more accessible to minorities now you could say that that's because minorities we know that black women have the highest rate you know of, of abortions and there's even been people on the left who have done entire studies of is the modern day abortion industry genocide against black people because of the economic situations that we put minorities in. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that it is because minorities are a big part of the uh, lower class group of people. Yeah, like for if a the, lot of reasons. Yeah, so if, it all ties if, in. If we have a, a system that is systemically racist, that throws obstacles in the way constantly in front of people of color, to where a woman feels like she has to go and have an abortion because of economic circumstances more often when she's a minority, isn't that sort of a systemic genocide in a sense? Yeah, I mean, I could agree with that. I mean, if she's a woman of means and she just a woman of color and she's a woman of means and she just decides she wants to have an abortion, I mean, I'm pro-life, but there's no difference to me in that situation than a wealthy white woman who wants to, a woman of means who's white, 
But if you're, if, you, if you're saying that our system disadvantages minorities to the point that they're having abortions at a way higher rate than white people, you are creating genocide. Systematically, yeah, I could agree with that. So, Although I am on the opposite end of the spectrum because I am pro-choice. And, you know, even if Planned Parenthood did start under somebody who was a fucking psychopath, I think today that, you know, the majority of the services they provide are not re- abortion-related. Mm-hmm. So... I think that is important to mention in this conversation because, you know, I respect that your opinion is different than mine, but I see this a lot when people have the conversation about Planned Parenthood and not liking Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing to remember of that is they provide a lot of life-saving services to women. Well, let me just say that I am pro-life, but I believe that the way to eliminate abortions or get them down to a very small number is birth control of every kind, shape, size, whatever, should be absolutely free, and you should be able to walk into any pharmacy and just walk them and say, excuse me, I would like this, and it should be handed to you. No questions asked, no ID, no nothing, just everything, because there are so many methods of birth control now, and if a woman goes into a doctor's office and says, I want the implant, shit should be free. No question. You shouldn't even have to give them your name. You should just be able to get it and walk out the door. Well, and the same thing, too, that a lot of people who want to have their tubes tied are told that they can't because they don't have children already. Mm -hmm. A lot of women who go in, I want to have my two tabs. Well, do you have kids already? No. And they, you know, a lot of doctors. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. ridiculous. So I do, when I have conversations with people who are very pro-life, I try to push those things like, well, if you are, you know, maybe because we're on so opposite ends of the spectrum if we could both meet in the middle for a common goal right right you know i'm not ever going to advocate for abortion being illegal and you're not ever going to say that anyone should be able to have it whenever they want for whatever reason so let's just meet in the middle the the goal is to do away with unwanted pregnancies so any other way right. we can do that we should be working together to do exactly. that because no one wants to have an abortion that's and that's where i always start with somebody who's pro-choice i always say well, do you think that any woman gets up and wants, like, let me just go get pregnant so I can have the fun of having an abortion. Nobody wants to have an abortion. Right. So if you don't want to have one, there are ways to eliminate it. And I'm not saying, okay, yes, I understand birth control fails. I understand. I understand all that. But I'm saying if every single form of birth control was free and super easy to access, I think most women, because most women claim that they want to be in charge of their own life, that they want to make their own decisions, they would make the decision to just not get pregnant. In the right, first exactly. Place. So I feel like that is the, instead of trying to, this is what kills me too, is that when you get this into a political uh, playing field, all they do is scream back and forth across the aisle. Right. Like with everything. Meanwhile, you know, tons of people are dealing with this. Right. You know, so I feel like if we, first of all, educated people, which is going to have to come a long way because I think there is another problem with like teen pregnancies and shit is that there's not open communication between the child and their parent right so if there could be open communication like 17 year old is afraid to tell their mom they're having sex so they have unprotected sex and it's like well if we could all get on a ground here where we can just Mm -hmm. get over that hump so it needs to be education on any every level Mm -hmm. with the kid with the parents with with everything Mm -hmm. um you know birth control should be free you know i just i think that the screaming across the aisles needs to stop and we need to come to the common goal of let's make every other option available. And we have proven that in places where the birth control is available, that abortion rates drop. Yeah, right. So I feel like the people that aggravate me the most are pro-life people who are even to the point against birth control and plan B well, and things like ridiculous. that. It is. That's just ridiculous. I mean, and I will say the same thing about, you know, 
pro-choice people who think that you should be able to have an abortion no Clear matter up until the right. day yeah right and I, I really personally i don't know anyone like that yeah so i don't know if this is just an internet myth that those people you know what i mean because I'm, nobody nobody wants to do that you know right. yeah. so but that's all i have to say about but i do that. think that we need to consider that in terms of you know the eugenics movement how it specifically targeted race and people that is that, that is a poor. very fair point. I and think, then that being that Margaret Sanger had those had those views, and then you follow that through to the pro. I mean, like I said, this went up through the seventies, and if you think about when Roe v. Wade happened, it was like it's almost like if you think of it in terms of like the elite wanting to eliminate poor people of color, or well, just poor people in general. Was poor people in general, but I'm saying from the racist right yes. idea of genetic whatever. So. Once they said, well, we can't do, we can't, you know, we can't sterilize people anymore. Hey, let's just tell all the women, hey, you can get as many abortions as you want. Knowing that it's going to disproportionately affect minorities. And when people say, well, you know, a woman should have a right to do whatever she wants to do with her body. Okay, but let me ask you this. If a woman of color is sexually assaulted and finds out she's pregnant, she do you really think she has any good choices right then? She doesn't have any good choices. She's being forced to make a bad choice, the lesser of two bad choices. That's not making a good choice. If a woman finds out she's pregnant because her But at least she still has the choice. Right, but I'm saying, you know, when they say pro-choice, it doesn't, sometimes the situations women are in when they have to go get an abortion, I feel like is not really a choice. They're being forced into it from economic because they can't well, afford ab- to absolutely. take care of their children and all that. And that shouldn't be the reason well, a woman that, has to have an abortion. That's another point, too, because I think a lot of people um, would also make, would consider making the choice of carrying the baby and putting it up for adoption if we did have a system that didn't lead to, you know, people being in foster care is being abused and the system is so awful. Right. And maybe a lot more people would just be like, okay, I accidentally got pregnant. I'll carry this baby. I'll have the baby if I know it's going to have a good life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you have to make the choice between well, have this kid and set it up for a life of misery because I'm not equipped to take care of it or eliminate right. it before it even happens. So I guess I'm going to support abortion up until the point that there are no other bad choices. You know what I mean? When abortion stops seeming like the answer because the other option is have awful. Been fixed, right. Yeah. Then maybe I'll, I'll see the other side. But until then, I stick where I am. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're running about... Uh, 118 right now so i guess we'll wrap this up unless you have anything else you want to add well i think that's it all right i'm actually glad we didn't talk about politics this time like my <laughs> only for a minute my blood pressure is like super low you know i mean fuck mike bloomberg but for that in but there. this is very much a 99 percent conversation it is absolutely you know, because 99 percent. because yes poor people are being ex- exploited and taken advantage of and there's a history of it forever so yeah. Anyway, guys, this is Duke signing off. And this is Mick signing off.